The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Derek Dorch of the Diversa Group, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch. Derek walks you through how to win government jobs, effectively manage your government career, and best utilize government services. Every week on Fed Access, you'll learn about interesting federal agencies, workers, and careers. Fed Access provides you the access you need to succeed in the federal government. And now your host, Derek T. Dorch. Welcome to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Thank you for stopping by the show. We are always glad to have you as usual. Today we're going to have an interesting show, and we're going to be talking about a number of different things, whistleblowing, security clearances, but we're going to be talking about it from a standpoint of, of, of making sure you're protected. If you're a federal worker out there, you know, do you need to get a lawyer? Do you need to get some kind of you know, part representation? And we're going to be talking to uh, one of the lawyers who deals with these issues quite a lot in terms of helping uh, federal workers, whether it be security clearance, clearance issues, whether it be uh, discriminatory issues, uh, workplace retaliation issues or a number of different things that happen in the federal workforce. We're going to be talking about how to handle some of those issues today. We're talking to Deborah, and Deborah, give me your last name because I want to make sure I get it right on air. I hate to destroy people's last names. Tell me your last name for us. Sure, it's D'Agostino. D'Agostino. And Deborah is one of the founders of, of and, and, and you can find them at fedpractice.com. But Deborah, give them the name of the firm as well. It's called the Federal Practice Group. And it's the Federal Practice Group. They've been doing this for quite some time. And, and if, if you kind of go on their website, you'll see uh, that they've had a number of different cases dealing with a number of different agencies uh, focused in on everything from military people to those who are federal workers who are dealing with a number of different issues. Deborah, thank you for being on the show. Absolutely. You know, when I thought about this and, and I was kind of just reading and, and, of course, we're hearing about these leaks, Deborah. You know, we're hearing about leaks all over the place. Right. And then we're hearing about, um, you know, some people being concerned, almost kind of in the whistleblower status that they're concerned about what's going on. And it really kind of you know made me think about if, if in certain agencies, you know, how if you are a person who says, listen, I think there's something going wrong in my agency. Right. And, you know, some we're hearing about classified information getting out. Sometimes it may not be classified. But for a federal worker, how do you advise them to go about, you know, possibly, you know, saying, listen, I need to get some information out about my agency because I have concerns? Sure. Well, I'd say start with trying to follow the rules. Okay. <laughs> um, the applicable rules are really going to depend on where you work. So um, for most federal employees, you're going to be protected by um, the Whistleblower Protection Act. But if you're an Intel community employee, um, then, you know, you, you have separate rules and separate procedures to follow. Um, so for an employee of a non-Intel agency, you know, really, uh, if you have information concerning gross mismanagement, waste of funds, abuse of authority, um, even a violation of any law, rule, or regulation, uh, and you think you want to blow the whistle, it's protected to blow the whistle even to your own supervisor. So if you want to start there, um, just making that disclosure to your supervisor does give you protection. So sometimes people try that. Report it, see what happens. If that doesn't work, uh, you can go up the chain. Uh, certainly, it's legitimate to go to something like the Office of Inspector General for your agency. Uh, if you're still not feeling like the response is appropriate, uh, you can go to Congress. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously what's going on these days are, are people are going to the media. 
And, and let me ask this question, Deborah, and, and you just kind of mentioned it about going to the media. Is that illegal? I mean, as, as when someone kind of goes through and says, hey, I'm going to just tell the media that something's not right in my agency. Is there still a certain, of course, the media will say we will protect you as a source, right? But we've been hearing about uh, some of the people saying, listen, we're going to check your phone. We're going to do certain things. Sure. What, how much is this is legal? I, I, can a government agency or your supervisor say, I'm going to check your phone and then start kind of going through your personal stuff? And then also, too, are you protected if you have gone to the media with some information? I think, yes, uh, you are protected if you go to the media uh, to blow the whistle, uh, unless you're disclosing something like classified information um, or information uh, that, that would be specifically uh, barred by some sort of criminal statute, uh, for example, to reveal. But in most cases, um, you're fine to go to the media. So, uh, you know, I guess the, the question of the legality of phone searches is certainly something uh, <laughs> very new. Um, I think what they're looking for uh, is whether or not people have encrypted apps on there. You know, obviously, if it's a government-issued phone, they're free to search it. Right. Uh, what's interesting uh, to me about this this uh, breaking news is that people would have their private cell phones in uh, classified areas. I mean, I, you know, so, for example, I know from clients who work at intel agencies, you're not allowed in the building with right. your personal cell phone. Um, so I don't know what's going on at the White House, why people would sure. be allowed in in, uh, in these secured spaces with a, a personal cell phone. But um yeah, I think and, perhaps that's the issue. And, and for people who say, listen, this has happened to me, right? Or, I mean, and it does seem, and, and I think the reason why some of these questions are coming up, because it does seem to be kind of a, a different kind of culture, saying, you know, going on a little bit. But if a person says, no, you can't search my, my personal stuff, or no, you can't do this. And they say, well, listen, you're on government property. I can search anything I want to, you know, or, or, or something of that sort. I mean, it seems to be an environment where a person could be intimidated very, very quickly to comply with something, where do we draw the lines at? Do people say, listen, I can do that and then not uh, um, and not have to worry about the retaliation and feel comfortable and feel right that they are legally within the right place? Or if you are in a government building, is everything subject to search and seizure? Well, I think that's, that's a tough question. I would argue um that if you're a government employee in a government building, you shouldn't have an expectation to privacy. So I, I think the smart thing to do is really uh, to make a big, thick line between your private life and your personal and your work life. Um, you know, as private citizens, government employees have First Amendment rights. Uh, federal employees can speak on matters of public concern and get First Amendment protection for that, meaning it's illegal to retaliate against a government employee who's exercising their First Amendment right. So, for example, these, these alt-Twitter accounts that have been popping up, I would argue those are, are perfectly legal. They're not, um, you know, it doesn't appear they're being done on government time. They're not speaking for the government. Mm -hmm. um, so I would argue that, that that's protected First Amendment activity. Um, but, you know, you're, you're really smart to draw a line between uh, your work and your private life, especially in this day and age.
you know, with it, we've seen certain people who have been let go because of maybe comments they made about either the administration previously or other times. But this kind of just goes for any kind of maybe federal employee, um, you know, with all of that, if somebody discovered, right, you know, because, again, you have the right to speak out as a private citizen when you're not on the job. But if somebody went through and started looking at social media, they started looking at certain things and found maybe that you made a derogatory comment about somebody, you know, in the administration or whatever the case is, you know, does that right there have the valid reason for termination or or are we starting to see kind of a retaliation that people will start to say, okay, we found this about you and we'll start to either change the way that we look at your performance. uh, We'll start taking certain kind of action against you. What are we seeing out there? Sure. Well, I think the fear of retaliation is probably at an all time high. You know, I don't know if retaliation's actually started uh, happening uh, for what's been going on recently. But, um, you know, certainly uh, if you're on social media and you're a government employee and you oppose uh, pending legislation, you oppose a policy, you oppose the travel ban, um, that's protected under the First Amendment. So you can't be fired because you went on Facebook and talked about uh, how you believe the travel ban is illegal. Uh, and discriminatory or whatever it is uh, you want to say. You know, there's, there's been a lot of talk about the Hatch Act and whether or not uh, this kind of conversation on social media would violate the Hatch Act. Um, and I, I, I think the answer is, is no. It's actually pretty hard to violate the Hatch Act. I mean, there aren't active campaigns going on right now, and that, that's really what the Hatch Act gets at is talking about a candidate for office or, or uh, you know, advocating for a specific candidate. But once the election's over, uh, that's a whole different ballgame, and you're really allowed to speak freely as a federal employee. You know, when we think about this, and I want to talk about this on the next segment, Deborah. Um, you know, with all of this going on, and you just mentioned about, you know, retaliation kind of being at an all-time high. Um, I want to talk about, you know, how federal workers can do to maybe protect themselves. Should they start reading certain things? Should they start kind of thinking about, you know, reading their agency rules and regulations? Should they be looking at OPM? Should they be thinking about their classification as as a federal employee? Because whether it be accepted or competitive service, is that, you know, are there a change? Or if they're a political appointee, you know, is there a difference between the protections that they have? I want to talk about that when we come back. We're talking about federal workers and we're talking about a number of different things. What can federal workers do if you have decided to be a whistleblower? Do you have protection? If you decide to go through the proper channels of your agency, what rights do you have? If you decide to take it to the media, are there still protections out there for you? And then going forward, even with retaliation, are there certain things you can do to make sure that either you're not retaliated against, but if you are, that you can also protect yourself and make sure that you can kind of come out of this situation in the best foot forward. We're talking to Deborah D'Agostino. She is one of the founding partners at the Federal Practice Group. You can find them at fedpractice.com, fedpractice.com. You can find their site. We'll be right back after this break. You listen to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM.
Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch from Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. If you're just joining us, we've been talking about federal workers, and we've been talking about federal workers in terms of uh, their rights. We've been talking about if you decide to become a whistleblower. There are, there are different people out there right now who are, are either leaking information to the media. Some people feel like they need to be whistleblower status. But we're talking about how do you handle certain situations uh, when that comes up. We're talking about also your rights as an employee, as a federal worker, your rights, a a lot of times we don't think about our employee rights until there's a situation that, you know, that is upon us. But maybe we should start thinking about this kind of stuff right now, especially when there may be a climate change. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes people say, listen, I've you know, either spoken out about something. I've said certain things. We've had a very, very heated uh, debate. And some people as private citizens maybe working for federal agencies, you know, people are checking out social media sites. People are looking at certain things. People are asking questions about people. And you want to make sure that your rights are protected as a worker. We're talking to Deborah D'Agostino. She is a founding partner at the Federal Practice Group. You can find their website at fairpractice.com. Okay, fairpractice.com. But she's a founding partner. She's been working on these issues for quite some time and she's given us some insight. Deborah. Uh, when it comes to employee rights, you know, what is it? And then I kind of broke down a, a kind of about three different kind of ca- classifications, right? Political appointee, you got accepted service, competitive service. Are employee rights in the federal government, are they the same across the board? Or does that change depending on how you're hired? No, that absolutely changes depending on how you're hired. So I would say that, uh, you know, any client or potential client I talk to who's who's maybe in trouble, one of the first things I ask is, do you know if you have uh, appeal rights to the Merit Systems Protection Board or MSPB? So, you know, most competitive service uh, employees do have those rights. If you're in the accepted service, it can depend on things like veterans preference. You know, if you're a political appointee, uh, I'd say that you have the least amount of protection. You're really, um, you know, you're almost like an at-will employee almost. Right. I mean, you're you're really um, at the pleasure of, of uh, your appointment. So there's a big difference between the rights that those various groups of employees have. You know, when, when you think about that, and, and, and let's just kind of maybe take it from the standpoint of somebody from the competitive service, because that's probably your bulk of employees, but also probably in the national security sphere, you get more of accepted service where they're working for one of the intel agencies. Um, sometimes those are more your accepted service. So with, so with those, uh, you know, and, and that's where you do get maybe either under, under the Merit Systems Protection Board or you may get some other kind of rights. But can we break down, you know, what are some of the rights? And let's maybe take it from the competitive service standpoint first. Sure. So with the competitive service, um, you know, you would have really the full gamut of rights. So if you believe you're, you're being discriminated against, you have the right uh, to file an EEO complaint. Um, if uh, you believe you're subjected to whistleblower uh, retaliation. Um, you have the right to file a complaint with the Office of Special Counsel or OSC. Uh, and if you've been subjected to an adverse action, such as a removal or a demotion or even a lengthy suspension, uh, you can appeal that action to the to the MSPB. You know, what are you seeing oftentimes in terms of people contacting? I mean, have you seen an uptick in terms of, of, of people having to, to get representation uh, like yours, you know, whether it be for retaliation, what are you seeing out there all, all the time? Well, I would say there's been a huge uh, uptick in whistleblower retaliation claims over the past 
uh, yeah, maybe five or six years or okay. so. Um, and I think it's in part because um, people have seen results. Uh, the Office of Special Counsel has really um, stepped up to the plate, and they've gotten results for these whistleblowers. Uh, I think also it's become... Um, you know, I'd say there's bipartisan support right now for whistleblowers. And so, you know, people recognize that, that people don't take it lightly when they're going to blow the whistle. Uh, and that if they're, they're going to do that, uh, you might want to listen to what they have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'd say that any whistleblower immediately fears retaliation. Uh, retaliation is unfortunately, uh, pretty common. I mean, my, my advice to any federal employee would be um, be the best employee you possibly can be if you're blowing the whistle. I mean, um, <laughs> you're, you're certainly going to be watched. You know, kind of, kind of going along with that line of, of advice, I mean, and, and, and I'm sure you talked to a number of different people, if you kind of had to say maybe the top three things a person should really consider, because it seems as if, if a person goes through the whistle-blowing uh, process, it could be a life-changing scenario for them. I mean, what are some of the things that you, of course, you know, making sure that you're a top-notch employee, and, and but even if you found something and say, hey, maybe I'm not the best employee, but I do see something that I think is wrong, what is maybe some of the top three things you need to consider um, before you possibly take that route of becoming a whistleblower or releasing something to the media? Well, I think you really want to understand how to do that legally. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you don't want to, by virtue of blowing the whistle, commit a violation. Um, and so it's interesting that the Supreme Court actually um, visited this issue recently in a, a case, um, the name of the case is McLean. Uh, but in that case, uh, he blew the whistle to the media and he was fired because the information he disclosed uh, was considered sensitive um, as defined by, by TSA's own regulations declaring what's sensitive and what's not. And, you know, the Supreme Court said, you know, sorry, but no, that, that doesn't fly. Um, people can disclose or federal employees can disclose information uh, so long as it's not violating an actual law passed by Congress. So uh, agencies aren't supposed to be passing regulations that restrict federal employees' right to blow the whistle. Um, But you you really, before you do something like that, you really want to be clear on whether or not just the act of blowing the whistle is going to put you uh, into trouble. But there are are certainly several legal ways to do it. I'd say, um, you know, if if any community's got it tough, it's it's the intelligence community um, where because of the nature of the information that you would have to disclose, you know, their, their channels are really pretty limited. I mean, they, they can uh, disclose to IG or to Congress, um, but even to get to Congress, they're supposed to go through IG. So um, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a tough road, um, and it's one where, you know, I would encourage anyone to play by the rules uh, until you absolutely – Cannot. I mean, if, if you've gone through all the channels and Congress is still doing nothing and you believe this is an issue of, you know, danger to public safety or, or something that imminently needs to get out, then I think you've got to make that judgment call. And there's been a lot of discussion about, um, you know, whistleblowing in the public interest and whether or not the public public's interest in the information being disclosed outweighs the, the violation that may have taken place uh, with the disclosure. 
you know, when, when you think about that, and that's that very, very interesting, uh, especially it, 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 are there times if a person does it the wrong way, can they fear possibly going to jail? I mean, you know, are, are the penalties, uh, um, you know, on that level if a person doesn't do this the right way? Or, or what what are we talking about in terms of the penalties? Well, I would say that, um, you know, any, any jail time that's been talked about is usually in connection with a violation of the Espionage Act, which is a very, very old law, but until very recently has, has not really been utilized. But, um, but yeah, in the past few years, uh, whistleblowers have been prosecuted under the Espionage Act. Uh, most federal employees, though, uh, are not in danger of violating the Espionage Act um, by blowing the whistle. I mean, yeah. we're really talking about um, intelligence community employees who, okay. who could run afoul of the Espionage Act. You know, with all of that, and, and I want to kind of get into this when we come back, I'll take a quick break. But when we begin looking at this and, and even just uh, a retaliation, I want to kind of get a little bit more into the employees' rights. I want to kind of talk about, you know, uh, maybe I probably even say maybe employee right toolkit. Where should people be finding this stuff? And of course, you know, when when does a person get up to the point where they need to call someone like you and say, listen, I need to now speak to somebody and get my own counsel in order to, you know, to, to prepare myself for either retaliation about the blow the whistle or anything that's going on in their federal workplace that they don't feel right about. I kind of want to talk about the steps the person should, be, should begin taking up to the point where they've got to now, you know, reach out to counsel and then start moving things in a different direction and then going from there. We're talking about federal workers and we're talking about federal workers and their rights. We're talking about whistleblowing. We're talking about the employee rights as a federal worker. And we're talking to our special guest. We've got Deborah. Deborah, give him the last name. So we, I got it right. I know I got it right before, but I want you to give it to him. Sure. It's D'Agostino. <laughs> and then tell him where you're coming from. I'm from the Federal Practice Group. She's from the Federal Practice Group. The website is fedpractice.com. Fedpractice.com. Got a good number of different things on there. Also in the news and insights, you can read about some of the different cases and, and some things that Deborah has written about recently about different cases that she's been representing uh, uh, on a number of different matters that relate to federal workers. We'll be right back after this break. We're going to continue this conversation. You listen to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch from Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. If you're just joining us, we've been talking about the federal worker, and we've really been talking about the federal worker in terms of how do you protect yourself? You know, how do you protect yourself legally if you want to become a whistleblower? How do you protect yourself if you're facing retaliation? How do you protect yourself if you're that federal worker and you need to know your employee rights because you feel like some things are going on that shouldn't go on? You feel like uh, maybe uh, your performance review is now being a little bit altered a little bit. Uh, at first, one time you're you're the best employee, and now all of a sudden your supervisor saying you're the worst employee, and then all of a sudden it seems as if for wh- whatever reasons that uh, you're either facing retaliation or you're you know either pushed into a certain direction or whatever. But how do you protect yourself? as a federal worker. And sometimes the protection is really based on what kind of federal worker you are. Are you competitive service? Are you accepted service? Are you a political appointee? What should you know as you're going down and you're kind of facing these different things? We're talking to one of the experts from the Federal Practice Group, one of the founding partners, one of the founding attorneys, Deborah D. Agostino. She is on the line with us right now and talking about these different issues. Deborah, when it comes to this, and, and, and I was, we were just kind of talking, and I, I think what you were saying is, is, is 
uh, while me and you were just kind of talking, something people need to hear. You know, what do, what are we seeing right now in terms of the workforce? I mean, it seems as if we do see a lot of uh, uh, kind of retaliation, uh, a lot of people trying to get at people's performances. What are you seeing in the market right now? Well, uh, I think that um, right now there is a lot of retaliation going on. I don't. I, I just think it's been trending. Uh, or maybe it's just that people are actually uh, pushing back, and that's why we're hearing more about it. But, um, you know, really, uh, the golden rule is... And, and Deb, let me interject real quick. You just made something really important. Do you think that people are more empowered a little bit to say, listen, I'm not going to take this anymore? I mean, are, are, are the are the avenues now uh, uh, where we have more systems in place that people feel like, I can do something, you know, now there are times where people start speaking up a little bit more and because there has been maybe systematic retaliation going on or, you know, bad practice that have been that have been in place in certain agencies. But maybe people feel more empowered. Do do you think that may be the case? I do think that's the case. And I also think that, um, you know, in this day and age, people respect that uh, in the government, you may not get as paid as much as you do in the private sector, but what you get is is rights. And so due process rights uh, in any sort of disciplinary scenario is, is certainly a right that I think people make sure they exercise if they find themselves in that situation. So I think... Um, I think you're certainly wise to push back if you find yourself being retaliated against. You know, when, when, what is the retaliation that you have usually seen from a lot of these different agents? I mean, what, what are some of the common things that you constantly see? Because I, 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 the reason why I ask this, I think sometimes people are facing and they may know they're facing retaliation, but they may not necessarily completely understand, like, this is completely wrong, what they're doing to me. Or some people won't speak up. And I'm, and I'm very much an advocate for pe- people speaking up and people being treated the right way. Way. You know, our federal employees are, are very, very important in what they do. What should I mean, what are you seeing in terms of common retaliatory practices? Well, I would say that people actually do know uh, when they're being retaliated against. And a lot of times it just comes down to, to something very logical. I mean, you, you went to EEO on Monday to file a complaint and now it's Wednesday and all of a sudden your boss is saying you have a performance problem mm. or you blew the whistle, you have an outstanding 20-year record, and all of a sudden uh, you're getting a notice of proposed suspension. Uh, and so the, the timing nexus is really uh, what these retaliation cases are about, as well as whether or not uh, you know the agency has a legitimate reason to take some action against you. So, um you know, a lot of times uh, with a retaliation case, what we're looking at is, is you know, the timing of it uh, and also whether or not you did, in fact, commit the, the alleged misconduct or you do, in fact, have poor performance. Um, and we're trying to uh, to disprove those allegations against you. You know, with all of that, <clears throat> when a person kind of maybe says, hey, this timeline is starting to happen to me. Are there certain steps they should begin taking? Like, should they begin saving files or, you know, sending? I mean, of course, you don't want to, you know, send anything that's classified or break any laws. But are there certain things that a person should begin doing in order to, you know, especially if they have to contact, you know, someone like yourself to represent them? What should they begin doing in order to make sure they protect themselves? Well, I think uh, it is smart if you're facing retaliation um, to document what's happening. And so, uh, you know, one tip we give our clients, uh, for example, is that if you're called into a meeting, 
um, you know, bring a notepad, take down notes on, on what's being said. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, if you're, you're called in on the spot, then send an email afterward and say, you know, just to confirm, you told me X, Y, and Z. Uh, and, and so make sure, you know, you, you do have evidence to back up um, your defense against any charges. You know, with all of that, I mean, it kind of reminds me of, of, you know, we're in a society where people can tape everything, right? <laughs> you know, where uh, people are either, whether it be your phones or you can get a hammer, a hidden camera in your tie sometimes or things of that sort. Is that kind of stuff uh, um, practical or suggested or even legal? Uh, likely no. Okay. So, um you know, different states have different uh, laws concerning how many parties uh, need to consent um, to being recorded. Uh, but if you're at work and you're on government property, uh, that state law isn't necessarily going to apply. And mm. I've found that most agencies have some sort of rule somewhere, even if you've never heard of it, uh, that says you shouldn't be taping a conversation without consent. Um, so, uh, yeah, people can definitely find themselves in hot water if they uh, they start doing things like that. <laughs> so so basically you got you need to get your old school, uh, get your notepad out and then start putting down old school details of time and date and what happened and, and kind of monitor things through e- email and everything else. That's 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 usually the recommendation, huh? That's usually the safest course. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that, um, you know, occasionally uh, there is consent um, to record a meeting. Uh, mm-hmm. Another thing you could do is. Um, you know, make sure you have a witness present. So hmm. bring in your okay. union rep. Um, you know, even sometimes uh, another supervisor in the office or someone from HR, you know, someone who's there uh, as a third party who could testify as to what happened in that meeting. You know, with all of this, as it relates to, uh, um, you know, the, 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 the retaliation and people understanding their rights, it, when a person gets hired, right, or you may have been working for your agency for quite some time, um, sometimes, a lot of times I hear that, you know, people have a hard time kind of finding out, you know, where uh, the, the, the either the laws are that, imp- that deal with employee regulation. Do they find that stuff through OPM? Do they find it through their union? Where do you recommend people start looking to find out what their rights are? Uh, I actually think um, uh, the the sources, <laughs> the actual sources themselves are the best. So, you know, for learning about the EEO process and your rights um, in that process, the EEOC's website has great information. Mm-hmm. For whistleblowers, the Office of Special Counsel's uh, website has great information. And if you're facing an adverse action, uh, if you're being fired, for example, um, the MSPB's website has has fantastic information on what your due process rights are, uh, what they aren't. You know, it, it, there's really a lot of valuable information um, from those core sources on what your rights are. You know, you know, when you've got a, a situation where somebody is maybe facing uh, a situation with a clearance, right? Maybe they say, "Hey, listen, we're we're going to be pulling your job or revoking." Uh, your clearance and, and your job is basically dependent upon the clearance. Um, oftentimes, it, 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 have you found that to be tough sometimes because security could say about anything and then a lot of times people try to FOIA that information, they, they don't get anywhere. You know, how do people deal with those kind of situations, especially when they think they haven't done anything wrong, but now all of a sudden security and either under a reinvestigation or whatever has now deemed that they have done something wrong and they're taking their clearance? 
Well, you're right that that certainly is a tough uh, situation to find yourself in. I mean, what what we would typically see would be that security would suspend uh, the employee's clearance, um, and uh, and it would be suspended while security is looking into it. Um, you know, what's scary for federal employees is that while someone while you don't have your clearance, your agency can actually uh, indefinitely suspend you without pay. Hmm. You could be stuck without pay while your clearance is being adjudicated. Um, and so in that process, at a point, you receive uh, something called a statement of reasons. And so you're going to be told what the concerns are uh, with regard to your clearance, and you're going to be given due process uh, and the right to respond to those concerns. You know, with all of that, is is that when a, a person and, and, and of course, you know, we're not advocating one way or the other. But do you think that, you know, that's when the time when a person needs to really actually get counsel or should they be getting counsel before then? I mean, what what's your recommendation? You know, I mean, you deal with this all the time. When should a person be thinking about counsel? Well, I think certainly in the case where your clearance is being challenged in any way. I mean, that that's a very serious situation. Um, but, you know, if you get any sort of notice of proposed disciplinary or adverse action, uh, I would advise anyone to get counsel at that point. I mean, even, you know, something like a one-day suspension stays in your record for the rest of your career. Mm. Uh, so it's a big deal. Right. Right, right. We got to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about employee rights and what federal workers should be doing. We're talking to one of the experts from the Federal Practice Group. They're one of their founding partners, Deborah D'Agostino. Have I gotten it right, Deborah? Did I get you it right? Have. All right, I got it now. So we're talking to Deborah. She is one of the founding partners, and she's been working on these issues for quite some time. We're going to continue to talk to her as we go into our last segment and then continue to talk about how do federal workers make sure that they've got their, their rights, make sure that they are protected from retaliation, from anything that goes on when they have to do a whistleblowing scenario, from situations that go on with clearances. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more when we get back. You listen to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch from Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. If you just joined us, we have been having a great conversation about employee rights, federal employee rights. What should a federal employee do if you have come into a situation where you have to become a whistleblower? What are your rights? How are you protected? You know, when should you seek counsel? What should a federal worker do when you've come into a situation where maybe you feel like you're being retaliated against? You know, how do you handle those kind of situations? There are a number of different situations that federal workers oftentimes deal with. And the key thing is that we want to make sure you're empowered to deal with these situations the right way. We're talking to one of the experts from the federal practice group. Uh, they've been working on a number of different issues for federal workers for quite some time. We're talking to one of the founders partners, Deborah D'Ag- D'Agostino. She you is got it. The- I got it. I got it, Deborah. See, I'm an expert. Now I'm good. So the next time we do this, I don't even have to need your help. <laughs> but so we're talking to Deborah right now, and she's been giving us some insight. Hey, Deborah, uh, you know, I think about this right now, and, you know, I talk about security clearances a lot on the show um, oftentimes. Uh, um, and 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 when I, when I kind of talk about it, um, there's a number of different things that people are oftentimes concerned about. We've got a number of different hires that have to happen for this new administration and just hiring across the board that deals with security clearances. There's a number of different factors for suitability, for adjudication in order to get people uh, clearances. What do you see, you know, are some of the top reasons why people clearances are put into jeopardy, either while they're going through the process 
or when they do have a clearance, what do you kind of see as the common things that really kind of put a person into a bad situation? Uh, I would say that um, uh, financial concerns is mm-hmm. certainly a top one. So if you've got a lot of debt, uh, the fear is that you could be subjected to bribery. Uh, or if you just have a, a, you know, a credit report that's got a lot of uh negative things on there, um, you know, there, there would also be a concern. Uh, also, certainly, um, you know, issues of integrity, you know, were you honest uh, about your answers? Uh, is there something in your past that suggests, um, you know, that, that you'd be open to manipulation? Um, you know, I, I think one that gets talked about a lot is, uh, you know, drug use and alcohol abuse. Um, you know, with that, I'd say what we see um, in terms of actual folks losing their clearances over those issues are, are really addiction issues um, or dishonesty about it. So, you know, if there's a pattern of uh, DUI arrests, for example, that's a red flag. Um, you know, it, it's really about uh, whether or not there's something in your past, something in your records that would open you up, um, you know, to, to something like bribery. Mm. You know, when, when we think about this and, 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 and I think about kind of the, the new generation, right, you know, because a new generation, um, I wouldn't say, well, I won't even say the new generation, but we're back at a, at a generation that, you know, where now marijuana has been decriminalized, you know, certain things have happened um, and everything else. I mean, do you find, uh, you know, like I think and you mentioned drug and alcohol use, do you find kind of in, in a new culture of, you know, millennials and other 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 people who are coming up now, are they having more issues now with security clearances because of that, or is it just always kind of been the same? I, I don't know that there's been more of it. I mean, you know, the, the issue with marijuana is even if it's legal in your state, it's still going to violate federal law. Right. And so if you're a current federal employee holding a top secret clearance and you get caught smoking marijuana, then, uh, you know, you're, you're caught violating federal law, which is, is not good. Uh, if you're an applicant and you've, you've smoked some marijuana in your past and you're honest about it and you don't do it anymore, uh, it's, it's likely to be no big deal. Right, right. You know, when, when a person gets a, get a security clearance, you know, denied, a lot of times, I mean, even for secret level clearance, it's taken maybe, you know, three months these days, three, four, five, six months sometimes. And then for a top secret, it may be even taking close to a year sometimes. And depending on the agency, it could take longer. When a person gets that clearance denied, um, you know, it, 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 what do you recommend? Do you recommend going through the, the appeal process, whether it be Doha or whoever their appeal process is? And then, I mean, again, you know, is that the time where you need to seek counsel in order to really kind of say, listen, how do I handle this the right way? in order to appeal or, or, or some people just say, I'm going to walk away. What do you advise when those situations come up? Well, I think that's a personal call. I mean, if, if, uh, you know, you're an applicant for a job and it's not a job that you, you know, really wanted or need, and you right. walk away, then by all <laughs> means do that. Sure. Um, but, uh, you know, if you are going to go through the appeal process and you do want to fight for that clearance, I certainly think it makes sense to get a lawyer. I mean, these are, administrative proceedings, but, uh, you know, the, the government's going to be bringing their lawyers. So mm. I would advise you to bring yours, too. You know, when you when you think about that kind of stuff and, and you're trying to get what what have you found to be the success? I mean, can people FOIA that that stuff? Can they get the information that people have found? You know, can they you know, is, is it possible to 
find out or is there always that tough time because it's deemed in the security we can't tell you everything well so if your clearance is being challenged uh then you're likely to be told what those reasons are um you know during a reinvestigation because you're going to have to respond to those right. and so uh, you're certainly going to be told that if you're an applicant uh, you know, one thing they'll do is, is something like just uh, rescind a job offer, um, and you don't really get a whole lot of information about why you didn't pass the background. Uh, and so that information is subject to FOIA. I would certainly request or, or tell people to make that request. Um, I think going forward, uh, if there is something derogatory in your record that for some reason you don't know or you don't know uh, why it would be considered derogatory, that's information you'd want to have. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, you know, with all of that, do a lot of times I know I talk to a lot of different people who want to go through the clearance, but I always just say, listen, check yourself out first. I mean, what do you recommend? Do you recommend people just kind of check themselves out and kind of think about things before you begin this process? Since it's such a long and arduous process. Well, I think, um, you know, anyone can look at an SF-86, which is the form that you're going to fill out to get a clearance. Uh, And, you know, I I think if you look at the questions, you're going to know, you know, what the big concerns are. I mean, they're going to be asking about your financial history. They're going to be asking about your foreign contacts. Um, You know, with foreign contacts, uh, you know, it's really about, you know, your allegiance to the U.S. you know, certainly there, there are several immigrants who go on to get clearances, and, and uh, the fact that they immigrated here is not at all a concern. Um, although occasionally there's, uh, you know, there there is reason for concern uh, with recent foreign contacts. But you can tell just by looking at that application, you know, what it is you're going to be asked. And I think most folks know if they're going to have a problem answering one of those questions. If you had to give any kind of last bit of information to to a federal worker, just in terms of their rights or clearances or, or whatever the case is, uh, what would you say, Deborah? Well, I would say right now in this climate, uh, you know, follow the golden rule, which is comply now, complain later. Mm. So if uh, you're being told to do something that you don't agree with, if there's a policy you disagree with, you're going to get yourself in hot water if you don't uh, comply with what your supervisor is asking you to do. But you can comply and then blow the whistle. And okay. I, I think that's the safest bet uh, for federal employees to to follow. And if you and if you do that, then you just need to make sure you you keeping your records, you're keeping your file and maybe even would you recommend in that kind of situation that you may say I'm complying, but I, I want to I want to express that I'm concerned about what we're doing. I mean, are, are those kind of wise things to also think about doing as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you don't need to necessarily stay silent. I mean, that that's what this whole whistleblowing protection is all about. Right. But, um, you know, you do have to follow uh, your boss's instructions. I mean, that's, you know, that's fundamental to any workplace, and the government's the same. Thank you so much, Deborah, for giving us this great information. Deborah from the Federal Practice Group, you can find them at fedpractice.com. A number of different resources on there, a number of different insights on here. Uh, Deborah D'Agostino, she is one of the founding 
uh, partners of this group right here. They've been working on everything from security clearances, everything from military situations, military criminal defense situations, to dealing with employee rights situations, whistleblowing situations, and everything else that a federal worker might deal with. You may want to take a look at them and also get some of their insights and maybe get some counsel as you go forward. Thank you so much, Deborah, for being on Fed Access. We're going to definitely have to have a, a deeper conversation as we go forward throughout this year. It's going to be an interesting year, so I'm sure there's going to be plenty to talk about. It sure is. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on Fed Access. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Dortch on Federal News Radio 1500 AM. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear the entire show or any of our weekly programs anytime at federalnewsradio.com. Fed Access with Derek T. Dortch, only on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. This just in. Reportedly, pigs can fly. <laughs> We're going live to... Can't take another crazy headline? Well, here's something you can appreciate. The MyGM Rewards card gives you best-in-class rewards with four points for every dollar spent everywhere and seven total points earned per dollar spent with GM, bringing you one step closer to a new GM ride. That's the power of appreciation from us to you. Subject to credit approval, terms and limitations apply. Visit MyGMRewardsCard.com. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.